all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. From MPB Think Radio, you're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. And I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Today is Open Topic Day, so if you have a question about general health and wellness, or really anything, we're happy to take those um, questions and comments today. I've got some that have come in from my Facebook page, that's Healthy Habits with Josie, if you want to communicate with us that way. Um, We also do email and phone. So email is fit at mpbonline.org, or you can give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. Hey, Kevin. Good morning, Josie. Uh, You know, you mentioned your Facebook page, and I saw yesterday you posted uh, a, a dish that you had made with some of the stuff that you had gotten from your garden it's some huge mushrooms that looked really good. But, you know, the one thing I've noticed about healthy cooking, not only is it good for you, but with all those vegetables and that sort of thing, it's such a bright, uh, nice-looking as well as nice-tasting uh, dish. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, and there's that old saying, you kind of eat with your eyes first. And, you know, it, it do- when food looks pretty, it does tend to make you want to eat it more, you know. And that's one of the things that I enjoy about Uh, eating more fruits and vegetables is all those colors. You know, when we think about kind of the traditional American plate, sometimes it's kind of sad in terms of the colors. Most everything is is brown or white, and that's kind of visually not that appealing. Still tastes pretty doggone good some of the times, but it, you know, it it doesn't necessarily look as pretty on the plate. And so um, I did not grow the mushrooms. I'm not, I'm not that good a gardener yet. Um, those, those came from the grocery store, but, um, it also had tomatoes and basil because we talked about last week on the show that herbs are really easy to grow and a really kind of great starter plant. If you're, you know, trying to get into, to growing your own food at all. And my basil, oh my goodness, it is just exploding and I have to, to prune it every other day just to, to, to keep it. Uh, keep it growing well. You know, basil is one of those things, if you don't prune it, um, then it will um, start to produce flowers. And the flowers are very very pretty and smell good, but they don't necessarily make the basil taste that great. They kind of change the flavor of the basil somewhat. So you're kind of trying to keep it constantly cut back so that 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 doesn't happen until you're ready for it to be, be gone for the year or move it inside. And so I've got a plethora of basil going on at my house. I uh, took some to a friend's house and left on her porch the other day, just a little note that here's some basil. I don't don't have anything else to do with it. Here you go, have some. Um, And, you know, traditionally basil is um, 
and pesto. And so, uh, but I'm about pestoed out. So I've tried to get a little bit more creative in, in what I'm uh, using. And before, you know, kind of uh, becoming vegan and, and staying away from animal products, a caprese salad was one of my favorite salads, which is usually um, sliced tomatoes, mozzarella cheese, fresh basil, and then, you know, a drizzle of, um, of balsamic vinegar, maybe a little olive oil, that kind of stuff. Um, but of course I don't do the cheese now. So, um, I called it a, a caprese ish skillet, um, because it was kind of pan seared and roasted portobello mushrooms with cherry tomatoes. And then once that came out of the oven, I sprinkled fresh, um, basil all on the top of it. And it really was, uh, very refreshing. And, uh, my husband gobbled it up, which is usually my marker of whether it tastes good or not. If he eats all I put on his plate and then asks for more. I'm like, yep, that one's a winner. Let's write it down. <laughs> you know, that thing about fresh herbs is the the flavor is so much more intense than something that you might uh, get from, you know, from the, the grocery uh, s- supermarket shelves. I mean, if you need to use that, that's good. But if you can grow them, and again, uh, I, Felder Rushing, our Gestalt gardener, certainly would echo what you said about how easy it is to grow them. And he always mentions, too, that it's something, if you're trying to get your kids interested in gardening or just get your kids, you know, an outdoor activity, that that's always an easy one to do because, uh, they, you know, it's quick to plant them and then the kids can see uh, result very quickly. And then again, at the end product, you've got something uh, that you can use in, in your cooking, and that's another time that uh, you might get the kids involved. Absolutely. And, you know, it really ties back to um, using food to help with your um, your health, right? So help, healthy food, nobody eats it if it doesn't taste good, right? You know, food is, is supposed to be enjoyed. And so part of that is the flavor of the food and how it smells and how it looks and all those different kinds of things. And, you know, we've kind of um, especially here in the South, you know, traditionally turned to meat products to flavor, even our vegetables, you know, bacon, ham, hock, salt, pork, those kinds of things um, in our vegetables, which are, are delicious. But if weight loss is our goal, if we're trying to work on our heart health, bring our blood pressure down, those kinds of things, then salt and, you know, added fats are not not our friend uh, in terms of those things. And so thinking about ways to make food taste delicious without adding extra fat and extra salt, then herbs and spices are, are the home run there. So I've got basil in the backyard. I also have parsley. Um, I have thyme and I have rosemary. Oh, and I have mint and chives. Dang, I've got lots um, when I got to thinking about it. Uh, and so those are great ways to add flavor without adding things that, you know, don't match with what my health goals are. The other way, um, you know, think about um, lemon or lime or orange, all of those citrusy type flavors also work really well um, in foods to give them flavor without necessarily adding fat and salt to them. So it's just a a really good way. Now, I will give you a tip on those dried herbs if that's all you've got. There's still a great way to add flavor to meals without the salt and fat. But what I do when I'm using a dried herb is I put it in the palm of my hand and then I crush it with my thumb. Um, Because what I'm trying to do is is wake up any of those kind of essential oils that are in the leaves and just make those dried herbs a little bit brighter. So I just crush them up. Um, The other thing is not letting them sit in the pantry for the rest of your life. You know, if you've, uh, if you've got herbs and that goes for spices as well, while 
they're not going to hurt you if they expire. They're just not going to be as flavorful. And some of them may kind of develop a not so great taste to them. So usually depending on the, the spice, um, if you haven't used it in, you know, six months to a year, it's probably time to, to spring clean that pantry and get you some new stuff that way. And one thing that I do, and it's because I'm a nurse and we date everything. Anytime you're in the hospital and we open a bottle of something, you know, open some saline or some medicines or something like we write the date on the top. So we know how long it's been opened. And I do the same thing with my spices and my flour and all of those different kinds of things. I put the date um, on the top. That way I know when that seal was cracked and that kind of starts the countdown for me there on, on the freshness of that. And I'd like to remind folks, uh, Josie's Facebook page is Healthy Habits with Josie, and I would recommend that uh, you go by there and check some things out. She's got a lot of great information on there, uh, pictures and recipes and some other stuff. So I think it's worth a you know a, a cruise by uh, when you're on Facebook every now and then. Yeah, and just you know, just drop me a hello. I'm, you know, I'm happy to to talk with you there as well. If you don't want anybody to know that you've messaged me, you can send me a private message through there. Um, and I will not disclose your name if we talk about the content on the show, if that's not something you want to do. But it's a great way to get your questions in, kind of when they when they pop in your head. You know, we're not always on the air when, when those questions pop in. And we've gotten several um, questions who've, that have come in over this past uh, week and a couple that were left over from um, some previous uh, times as well that we didn't get to on other shows. And a lot of them are about... Uh, outdoor activities because uh, it is it is bright and sunny outside these days and more folks are going outside so we've got some questions coming up about that but email works too fit at mpbonline.org is a great way as well um, and then you can give us a call i love to talk with you on the air too that's one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. So if we want to grab one of those questions um, right off the bat, it's about sunburns. Um, and so that, that sounds like somebody has, has experienced one uh, this coming year, uh, this summer. And so the question asks, what do I do, you know, one, once I get a sunburn, what's the best, what's the best thing? Well, you know, I kind of sound like a broken record, but the best thing for sunburns is to prevent one from happening in the first place, right? You know, prevention is, is the key. Um, for a lot of things. And so how do we do that? Well, there's, there's several different things that we can do. You know, you'll see uh, kind of handouts and things listed that say, you know, wear long sleeves and pants and, and wear a hat and those kinds of things. And that's still certainly really good, valid advice. A lot of people have trouble doing that, especially here in Mississippi, because it's so dang hot. And the thought of putting all that on just makes you go, nah. Um, but think about picking lighter weight fabrics to do that or choosing fabrics that have um, uh, UV protection built into them. You know, some of the swimwear, they have kind of rash guard shirts and that kind of stuff that are thinner, but that have um, some UV protection built into them, um, as well as, you know, really thinking about wearing some type of hat um, either a wide brim hat, which would be preferable because it's going to keep the sun off of your face, but at least a cap um, because we 
even folks that are really good at putting on sunscreen usually don't put it on the top of their head. And as, as we're getting older, um, we just don't got as much hair up there to cover, cover it up. So we gotta, we gotta make sure we protect our scalp because it can burn. Um, and you can still, still prone to skin cancers and things like that up there. Um, another tip is trying to avoid the sunshine when it's at its peak brightness. And so that's the kind of peak times are usually between 10 a.m. in the morning and 2 p.m. in the afternoon. Those are when the sun is the brightest. And so if you can avoid prolonged, you know, outside activity during those hours, um, you know, it helps with sunburn prevention, but it also helps from heat exhaustion, heat stroke, that type of thing. Um, if we're working outside during those hours. But if we can't do those things, if we have an outside job that we've got to be outside for um, during those peak hours, then we really want to make sure that we're doing um, sunscreen. And usually the recommendation is SPF 50 or greater. Um, and you want to look for one that blocks both UVA and UVB rays. There are two types of UV um, radiation from the sun. Um, that we're worried about in terms of skin health. One of them is responsible for more damage to the top layers of the skin, which is where we see the sun burning and peeling and stuff. And the other one penetrates a little bit deeper into the skin um, and gets more at the base layers. And that's the one where we also get concerned about skin cancers arising from that because it's causing more DNA damage uh, down in the skin. So you want uh, a sunscreen that that protects against both of those the UVA and the UVB and the thing I see folks do is they wait until they're out in the sun to put the sunscreen on you know they're sitting by the pool or they're at the beach and then they're slathering the stuff on you really want to put that on about 15 minutes before you go out so that it has time to kind of soak into the skin um, and, and start to, to work because uh, especially if we go outside and put it on, we are sweating already. It is hot out here and it's just going to kind of slide off and not get to absorb into the skin. So put it on before you go out and then remember to reapply. You know, if you're uh, doing some kind of sporting activity and you're sweating a lot, then it's not going to last as long. So you need to kind of pat dry as much of the sweat off as you can and reapply your sunscreen. If you're swimming in the pool or in, um, you know, a natural body of water, when you get out again, pat off and reapply that sunscreen. And if you're just hanging out and not doing any of those things about every two hours or so is the, the time when we want to, to, to pop some more sunscreen back on there. Um, now, what if you, you've not done any of those things and you have a sunburn and, you know, it happens to the best of us. Sometimes we, we don't anticipate things happening and it happens. Um, we've got to take care of your skin, right? You know, you've essentially got a, a burn to that skin. And depending on how long you were out there for um, and how much exposure you had depends on how severe the burn is going to be. But our skin, one of its major roles is temperature regulation and hydration, right? It helps us to hold in to, um, to our hydration. And so if we mess with that barrier, right, which we have, if we've gotten a sunburn, then dehydration can happen. We actually start to lose more heat and more water from our skin. So making sure that you're drinking a lot and and I don't mean drinking alcohol, that makes it worse. And it seems those two things go together a lot, alcohol and sunburn. 
Um, so make sure you're drinking plenty of water and staying hydrated that way, um, as well as applying some type of cooling agent, you know, whether it be a lotion or an aloe vera gel, something like that to help the skin stay moist and to, and to be a barrier to help the skin hang on to the moisture inside, um, inside there, you know, and if you see blisters, don't, pop them, right? Blisters are God's band-aid. Stuff is happening underneath there that you don't need once you pop a blister, depending on how deep the damage underneath the tissue is. Now you've got an open wound um, that we don't want to get infected. So just leave those blisters alone and let let them do their thing. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Thanks for joining us today. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at UMMC, and it's Open Topic Day, so we're taking your questions and comments about general health and wellness as well as coronavirus and COVID. You can give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464, or you can hop on over to my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie, and chat with us there. And I think we've got a caller on the line down in Biloxi. We're going to talk with Craig this morning. Hello, hey, Craig. Good morning. good morning. I saw uh, one person in the emergency room with, uh, he was so red from sunburn. He was so red, he had to go to the emergency room. Mm-hmm. And then another Absolutely. one, yeah, and then another one I saw on the beaches down here in Biloxi, uh, there were several people on the beach. There were in the laying in the sun, getting a suntan, and one girl got up and and almost passed out. She hit her knees and then had to sit down. Uh, I went over there and put a shirt on her and dumped water on her, and she was okay for in about a minute. But I believe that's from the uh, she got there was no blood left for her brain. Uh, I believe all the blood went through her skin. Is that correct? It's not necessarily the blood go into her skin, but when it gets heated like that, our blood vessels dilate. Um, and so they do start to, that's kind of trying to help us lose heat through our skin because she was overheating. And so when you stand up too quickly and those kinds of things, because the, the blood is, is kind of moving around a little bit, sometimes you will get lightheaded and probably also some degree of dehydration as well. 
um, depending on whether, you know, she'd had alcohol going on because that, that dehydrates you or just not drinking enough, um, you know, water while she was out there. But aren't you a sweet person for lending aid and going to help somebody? We need more folks like you, Craig. Yeah, well, any, any excuse to dump water on someone is fine with me. <laughs> <laughs> that, I, you know what? I'm going to try that. I'll be like, you just looked like you were hot, so I'm going to throw some water on you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but okay, absolutely. You know, all... there's some people call it sun poisoning, which it's not really a, a necessarily a medical term, but you know, it does play into the the actual um, you know physical things that we see when people are exposed to to too much sun yeah, and the different and, and things you, that are happening. Yeah, and your vision is is another area you have to watch out for the sun. I think it. I think like snow blind, even in the snow, even if you're not hot, uh, snow blindness comes from. Uh, your, the whites of your eyes getting burned like a like a welding burn. That's a great uh, point, and one I didn't cover before the break, and that's making sure that you protect your eye. And so, yeah, you're choosing and, a, and a you, sunglasses that have that SPF or that UV blocking capability is a really good point. Yes, I believe I don't, I don't know how many rays come off of the sun off of the sand, but it, it's pretty bad. But you get I believe macular degeneration is caused from uh, unfiltered sunlight and cataracts. Yeah, so, so we've got really got to protect that so that those sunglasses are really important. And then I didn't talk about kind of face and, and lip protection as well. So most people don't smother sunscreen on their lips. So you want to choose, you know, a lip balm or a lips, uh, a chapstick that has SPF protection in that as well, because the skin of our lips is very, very tender. And then a place that people always miss when they're putting sunscreen is the top of their ears. Yeah. Um, and that, that burns really, really quickly. And I learned that the hard way at a golf tournament one time. I just, mm, my ear got so crispy up there. And that is another place we have to really be careful. Yeah, the, the tops of my feet are one of the worst places I have ever had burned because I always had shoes on. And, it, and then one day I had sandals on and my feet were killing me for a, a week. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So those are all great tips, Craig. Thank you so much for giving us a call. Okay. Have a good rest of your Monday, okay? Hey, uh, Josie, one of our coworkers yeah. here uh, brought something up, and I think you touched on it, but if maybe you could go in a little more uh, detail, sure. and that's uh, alcohol and sunshine, uh, why we need to maybe uh, limit our imbibing when we're out in the sun. Well, there's a variety of reasons, right? So... First and foremost is that alcohol makes us pee more. So it changes um, some of the hormones that we have in our brain, in particular something called antidiuretic hormone, um, and it makes us have to urinate more. And so the more we urinate without replacing that fluid, the more likely we are to dehydrate, right? And so if we're drinking lots of alcoholic beverages and not mixing in um water uh, in between, then we're much more likely to get dehydrated, which is just going to be overall bad for our health in general, right? The other thing that happens when we over enjoy alcohol is that we don't make great decisions sometimes. So we have, you know, kind of impaired decision making and also decreased impulse control. Um, so we may forget that we need to put sunscreen on, right? Or we may just think, I don't need any more sunscreen on right now, you know, and so that's just going to contribute to, you know, more sunburn, uh, maybe a deeper sunburn, more skin damage, that kind of thing. So 
you know, it's really uh, important that we, we think about those things when we're, when we're outside, um, that we're, at, you know, if we're going to have an alcoholic beverage, that we're, you know, at least alternating and having water in between. Um, you know, uh, I usually do uh, Propel Fitness Water or something like that. I don't love Gatorades just because they've got a lot of sugar in them. And unless I'm, you know, really active outdoors for more than an hour, I don't really think I need um you know, Gatorade with sugar and all that kind of stuff, but a, like a fitness water that has the electrolytes in it is a good way to help replace some of that um, sodium and potassium that you may be losing through a lot of, of sweat. So hope that helped a little bit there for that, that particular uh, coworker there, but thanks for, for helping me expand upon that a little bit. Uh, we've got open lines. If you want to give us a call, our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. All right. Um, another Facebook question, again, having to do with the outdoors. Um, it has to do with mosquitoes. And, you know, it could not come at a uh, more important time because, uh, you know, we, we're so focused on coronavirus right now and with good reason. It's very um, significant health issue that we have currently, but the health department reported the first uh, case of West Nile last week as well. And so it's something that we, we can't forget that there are other things out there that we can catch and get um, besides uh, COVID. So um, West Nile, of course, is mosquito-borne illness. And so how do we keep from getting West Nile? And that really is the goal that we're trying to do is, is prevention. Um, and so we've got to prevent the mosquito bite from occurring. And there's great information on um, the Mississippi State Department of Health website about those things, as well as the CDC. Um, but just like putting sunscreen on, we also have to put insect repellent on and think about covering um, covering skin, you know, especially if we're going to be uh, outside when mosquitoes are the most active. You know, of course, this is Mississippi. So our mosquitoes, they just, they're here all the time, just flying around looking for a snack. But they do tend to be uh, more active around um, dusk. So right, you know, as it starts to get get dark, um, they seem to get more prevalent. And so thinking about if you're going to be out, you know, in the in the backyard or at an event, something outside, you know, wearing longer pants, longer sleeves, those types of things, just give them less skin to, to munch on and then applying, um, the appropriate insect repellent. And so there is um, a list of EPA registered insect repellents that are, um, uh, protective against mosquito bites or repellent against mosquitoes. Um, DEET is of course the one we hear about the most. Um, there's lemon eucalyptus oil and some other things out there. I will caution you that sometimes when we hear the word lemon eucalyptus oil, we think, oh, that sounds all natural. And perhaps that's safer than DEET or some of these other chemicals. That, that particular formulation is not approved on people younger than the age of three, that lemon eucalyptus oil. And so if you've got little ones, um, you know, that, that's not approved for them. And largely that means that, you know, there's not really been studies and that kind of stuff in that particular age group, but so that's not the, the particular brand or, or type of repellent that we would want to use. Um, but again, putting that on before, before you go out. The other thing is if we're using insect repellents on, on little ones, uh, their hands are usually not something that we want to put that on because if you've been around a baby or a toddler, um, their hands seem to be uh, 
a magnet from their hand to their mouth. And so they just smack their little hands in their mouth and slobber all over, all over them. And so we don't want them to have um, that insect repellent on, on their hands. Or we also don't want to spray insect repellent in their face. Um, it seems like a no-brainer, but it's on the bottle. So if it's on the bottle, that means somebody did it. So, you know, you can spray those things on your hands and then, you know, then apply them to areas um, that need to be applied instead of just spraying them down that way. Um, the other thing for mosquito prevention is to try and get rid of standing water that you have in your backyard or wherever you are, because um, standing water, meaning not not flowing water, uh, is really where they lay their eggs and breed. And so um, if you've got flower pots out there or a kiddie pool or something like that, go ahead and, you know, every other day or so dump that mess out and give it a good spray out or scrub out as well to make sure that you get any, um, you know, baby mosquito stuff out of that particular area so that you don't give them a breeding ground um, for that. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, and we've been answering your questions today, mostly about outdoor activities and how to stay safe. If you have a question or a comment for us, our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 You can hop on to Facebook and go to Healthy Habits with Josie and interact with me there. And I have a couple of questions that have come in this morning um, during the show from Facebook, so we'll try and get to those. Um, the first uh, is, again, an outdoor activity, and it asks about poison ivy and what's the best... Um, itch relief for poison ivy and at the risk of sounding like a broken record um the best way is to not get the poison ivy rash to begin with so uh prevention 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 you'd think i work in preventive medicine but um one is knowing what poison ivy looks like and so um you know, really pulling up some pictures and getting familiar with what that looks like, teaching your kiddos what poison ivy looks like. You know, my daddy always taught me leaves of three, let it be. And so, you know, that's just kind of a, a good, um, good, good thing to give you a little bit of pause there. The second is what is actually causing the rash. Okay. So there's an oil in the leaves of the plant, um, 
It starts with a U, and I never pronounce it correctly, so I won't even butcher it today because it's not really important. Um, but it's the oil in that leaf that is causing um, the, the really allergic dermatitis that we're having from that. So if you're out and about and you um, feel like you've been exposed to poison ivy, you know, you reach down to grab something, you grab it, and you go, oh, well, shoot, there's some poison ivy right there. I might have it. What we want to do is wash our hands to get that oil off or wash whatever area of skin that came in contact with to get that oil off. You know, the, the sooner we get the oil away from the skin, the less likely, likely it is to produce that allergic response. And so um, cool running water um, is a great way to, to get that off. The same deal is, you know, if you're wearing, you know, your long pants or your long sleeves and those kinds of things, which are also another great way if you're going hiking or something like that to keep from brushing up against poison ivy, those clothes may have the oils on them. So that would not be a re-wear it kind of, of thing. Those clothes need to be uh, washed to help get rid of that oil. Now, let's say that didn't happen. None of that happened. You got the poison ivy rash. Um, a lot of people think you can spread it, right? That if you scratch that area and then scratch somewhere else, you're, you're spreading it. That's not necessarily the case. It's not, you know, the fluid from those blisters or anything like that, that you're then transferring to another area. It would be the oil, right? So if you had the oil from that plant still on your skin and you scratched it and you had the oil on your fingers, you would, you could transplant that oil to other areas. But, you know, once you've got the rash, the rash is not contagious. Um, you, you don't get it from the, the juice from the rash. Now that doesn't mean be spreading your juicy rash all over people. That's not nice. That's not good humaning. Don't do that. Um, so if you're dealing with the itch, there's a couple of things. So itch, um, itches make more itches. So when something itches, we scratch it. When we scratch, we um, initiate some nerve receptors that make us itch more. That's why you never just scratch something one time. You're just itch, itch, itching it. So one of the best things we can do is try not to scratch it because it's going to make the itch worse. Um, I teach uh, my kids to kind of pat it a little bit if it's itching, if something's itching. Um, but, you know, if it's just flat out bothering you and it's itching, there are a couple things. We want to try and calm down the irritated skin as much as we can. So if it's on, you know, a large portion of the body, then an oatmeal bath or an oatmeal soak may help with that because that's very soothing to the skin. Um, you can, if you don't have any, you know, medical contraindications to taking an over-the-counter antihistamine, then you can do that. Um, Benadryl is usually a sedating one, so I wouldn't take Benadryl and then plan to um, host a radio show or drive a car. Those are, would not be things that we would want to do. Uh, but something like a, a Claritin or a Zyrtec, which is, uh, Claritin is loratadine, is the, the generic. Um, Cetirizine is the generic for, for Zyrtec. Most people do pretty well with those um, without having, you know, sedation. But of course, if you've never had those medicines before, again, don't plan on an activity that you need to be super alert for because everybody reacts differently to medicines. But if we're going for something topical, then I really like something just like a Caladryl or a Calamine um, because it's just calming down that irritation on the skin. You can do topical Benadryl, topical steer, you know, like a hydrocortisone cream or a cortisone 10, something like that. But we have to be careful with that because if, if the rash is over a large portion of your body, um, we don't want to slather a bunch of steroid cream 
on that because some of that steroid can could be absorbed systemically. And so we just want to be careful with that. So I really do like um, the calamine, caladrill type of situation. And then we want to prevent secondary infection, right? Meaning we've got an open area on our skin and we want to keep it as clean as we can. So making sure we wash that area with a gentle soap and water, pat it dry, and then keeping your fingernails nice and short so that if you're going to scratch, you're not causing more damage to the skin and not depositing the bacteria from your hands into that skin area there. So that was a great question. Thank you so much for that. Hey, Josie. Yeah. We talked about this on uh, Dr. Jimmy's show a couple of weeks ago, and he had a couple of suggestions that I thought were good. Wanted to run these by, see if you would uh, uh, agree. One, he said, was uh, you could use an ice cube. Uh, you know, we had talked about bug bites, but I think it's a similar thing. Uh, so mm-hmm. rubbing an ice cube where you're itching would help. And then he also suggested maybe scratching near but not on a bite or a rash or whatever to maybe give a little bit of relief as well. Although I like your point, too, of if you can try to avoid – scratching it because it's you're right it's that awful cycle of oh gosh i've itch i scratch now i've scratched i itch more etc etc (laughs) absolutely and if you look in a medical textbook it's actually called the itch scratch cycle and so you know we've got to try and uh abort that cycle however possible either by making the sensation stop or or not scratching it um and so both of his um uh suggestions are completely accurate and, and completely viable choices. Scratching near the area, it it triggers those nerve endings enough to where you think you're scratching on the area, but you're not. Um, I would s- kind of reinforce my prior um, information about making sure to keep your nails short because we don't want to create a, a second injury in that area. Um, and then the ice cube is great as well because what it's doing is Uh, essentially numbing those nerves right there that are kind of irritated and wanting you to itch. It's kind of making them chill out and sleep. Just got to be careful, right? If you're an elderly person um, that has thinning skin, you know, um, we tend to lose a lot of that kind of subcutaneous fat underneath their skin as we age. And so the skin is much more fragile um, and much thinner. We, you know, we don't want to put ice on for too long because that could cause a, you know, a, an ice burn, essentially. Um, same deal with little kids. They've got thinner skin. And so we want to be, be careful with that. I usually say don't put it, um, don't put the ice cube directly on it. Maybe use some crushed ice in a um, Ziploc bag or use a commercially prepared um, ice pack um, and never apply ice for more than 10 minutes um, to a particular area. And I usually recommend some type of little cloth in between as well, just so we don't have quite so much of an impact there on the skin. Those are great tips because Dr. Jimmy is a great doctor. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. I'm Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpb.com.
www.thepeopleonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening to Southern Remedy, Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, and we've been taking your questions and comments today, largely about staying uh, healthy while we're enjoying this uh, beautiful summer that we're having. And I say beautiful because I adore um, just sitting outside and sweating like a beast. I just adore the summer, and so I'm, I'm enjoying it. Um, but not everybody shares my love of super hot weather, but we're still getting out and enjoying things today. Um, and we're going to spend some time talking about 4th of July safety because it's coming right around the bend. But I did want to grab one Facebook question that came in that asked about how long after you take ibuprofen does it start to work? And so when we talk about medications, there's usually three things that we look at. We look at onset, peak, and duration. And onset means when it starts to work. Peak means when it's working at its maximum. And duration is how long the, the mechanism of action lasts. And for ibuprofen, depending on the formulation, whether it's a gel cap or a tablet, um, usually about 30 minutes is as soon as you're going to get it to start working. Um, with some folks taking up to about an, an hour, it's peaking at about an hour to two hours and then lasting about four to six hours. So you got to give it a little bit of time. It's not instantaneous. Um, but um, so if you take it and 15 minutes later, you're still hurting, don't don't take some more. You got to give it just a little bit of time, friend. Give it a little time. All right. We're going to go to Starkville this morning and talk with Graham. Good morning, Graham. Good morning. How are you? I'm well, and I just had a comment uh, regarding your uh, uh, regarding your itching with uh, uh, with poison ivy, and I want yeah. to add to it itching from from bug bites or uh, uh, or bee stings or something like that. Uh, years ago, decades and decades ago, when I was a youth, from that irrefutable uh, source of medical knowledge, Reader's Digest, I remember reading <laughs> that itches that an itch is just a tiny pain. And so all my life, I've used NSAIDs like aspirin or, uh, well, as a matter of fact, I've never tried uh, uh, much else except aspirin. Um, I don't know whether Tylenol would work, but I presume anything that gives you relief from pain should. And and I've never heard anybody suggest it. And I've thought several times I should just call in and tell when I hear people talking about things like this. And I heard Dr. Jimmy, I think you called him a couple of weeks ago. I heard his program uh, talking about uh, itching, too, and I I got carried away and didn't uh, phone in. But anyway, I just want to recommend uh, uh, an NSAID uh, like aspirin or something as a wonderful remedy, especially if you take it before you go to bed. You get relief and you fall asleep, and once you're asleep, you're not likely to to, to start the itching again. Good luck. Yeah, so that's a a great point. I would imagine the reason that it's not more widely recommended is, you know, we have to remember that NSAIDs are not necessarily benign medications just because they're over the counter. Um, You know, they they can, if you've got um, kidney issues, you know, bleeding issues, those kinds of things, we don't necessarily want to 
want to take them if we if we're not having overt pain or fever or something like that. But I like the tip for at bedtime um, to kind of help calm things down. Um, going to bed that could help. The other pieces on the aspirin, you know, be careful if you're on um, other blood thinners or in kids younger than the age of 12. We don't recommend aspirin there. But that's excellent. Um, Excellent call. I'm glad you were able to hop on with us today and talk about it. All right, we're going to spend the last couple of minutes uh, talking about the 4th of July because it is right around the corner. And there's a couple of things we want to make sure we talk about. Um, First being um, the MSDH, the Mississippi Department of Health, their recommendations for 4th of July gatherings because we want to celebrate, but we also want to be cognizant of the world that we're living in and keeping Um, all Mississippians safe. And so there are guidelines for the the size of gatherings that should happen. Um, And it depends on whether it is inside or outside and whether it is if social distancing is able to be done or not. So your indoor guidelines. So if there is a festivity occurring inside, um, if there is no ability to do social distancing, then that cap is 20 folks. Um, If social distancing can happen, then it expands to 50. Um, If the event is outside, um, it's 50 is the top limit um, if there's no social distancing and then 100 if there is social distancing. But guys, be smart. Think about whether it really needs to happen and and how many people need to be there. Um, If you're staying in your cars, you don't count toward that number. So maybe you're having a drive-in fireworks display where everyone stays in their cars and watches the fireworks that way. It's a great way to get out of the house, um, still see some fireworks, but protect everyone, protecting yourself as well as protecting um, your fellow Mississippians there. Um, I think we had a caller who hopped on and then hopped off that was talking about fireworks safety. That is very, very important as well. Um, Just like I talked about alcohol and too much sunshine don't mix, alcohol and fireworks also don't mix for the same reasons of decreased decision making and we tend to take more risks and do things if we've had too much alcoholic consumption. Um, So we never want to hold fireworks in our hand and let them go off from there. We never want to point fireworks at anyone. Um, It seems like those would be things I wouldn't need to say. But again, if it's on the package, that means somebody did it. So don't point fireworks at people. Don't hold them in your hand, and don't drink too much while you're um, while you're enjoying your fireworks. And then make sure fireworks are allowed within your city ordinances as well. Um, and pray for the folks who have puppy dogs because they're going to lose their mind when all the fireworks start to go off there. Um, the other thing that we really want to um, focus in on anytime we're having get-togethers is food safety, um, and it is hot as all get out right now, and so making sure that you do not wind up with a foodborne illness following your festivities is very important, so always remember to separate your Um, items that are not going to have any type of heat applied to them or any type of cooking metric applied to them versus things that need to be cooked, right? So if you're taking things in a cooler, we don't put raw meat in the same cooler as watermelon. Those two things don't go together. We have to keep them separate. Then we want to cook to the correct temperature. So cook your meat till it's done. 
and then don't let it sit out, guys. We don't want meat um, hanging out at room temperature or outside. Um, once we're done with it, it needs to be appropriately stored and go back into um, a cooler. Again, not with any remaining raw meat or stored back in your fridge um, to deal with that way. And then if you've got cold things, cold things need to stay cold, right? So if you're having salads and that type of stuff, try and avoid mayonnaise-based salads. Those don't love the heat. Switch to a vinaigrette maybe. But all that being said, enjoy your holiday, enjoy your family, enjoy the time that you have, but just help keep everybody safe, guys. Uh, my goal for you guys is for you to stay as healthy and fit as possible. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app.